Let me share a thought with you. <clears throat> what you have done for yourself or for your family in the last week or two is only important in relationship to time. In other words, <clears throat> what you've done for them will not be thought of just maybe a few days from now. Nobody will even think about it. Nobody will even remember that you did it. But what you have done for the Lord Jesus in this last week or two, what you've done in his name will be relevant 10 million years from now. Live for Christ. Live a godly, Bible-centered, Christ-centered life. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul could have just as easily written, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Because the word of Christ is the word of God, and the word of God is the word of Christ. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. <clears throat> this chapter here in Psalm chapter 1 is a very easy chapter to outline. There's nothing difficult about it. Verses 1 through 3, the godly man. Verses 4 through 6, the ungodly man. Simple as that. Nothing complicated. You know, <clears throat> when you deal with the Psalms, you realize that the Psalms are the Jewish hymn book, if you will. The Psalms present to us an interesting contrast. And that contrast is as follows. It talks about the noise of battle. It talks about the inner sanctuary of the heart. Sometimes the psalmist is rejoicing. Oftentimes, his eyes are flooded with tears. This book is all about life. Every emotion and every circumstance in which we find ourselves, it's all about life. It talks about love. It talks about hate. It talks about joy. It talks about sorrow. It talks about hope. It talks about fear. It talks about peace. It talks about strife. It talks about faith. And it talks about despair. <clears throat> Some of these psalms were written by David in this early part of his life. Some of them were written during his fugitive years as he was fleeing from Saul. Others were written with a broken heart at the rebellion of his son. Some picture him enthroned as the king of Israel. Other psalms present to us a broken man filled with heartache and tears because he sinned against God and against another man called Uriah. <clears throat> Hezekiah wrote some of these books, some of these chapters in this book, if you will, because of the Assyrian invasion. Other men wrote some of the Psalms as well. Psalm 1 and 2, if you were to look at them, <clears throat> read through them, excuse me, <clears throat> they present an interesting contrast. For in Psalm 1, it deals with the law. In Psalm 2, it deals with prophecy. May I remind you that all of the Old Testament is built on the law and the prophets. Psalm 1 is emotional because it begins with the pouring out of emotions. He said, blessed is the man 
As the psalmist right here, he's very, very happy. Psalm 2, <clears throat> it's not emotional. It's intellectual. And Psalm 2 begins with a question, why? Psalm 1 begins with a blessing and ends with a curse. Psalm 2 begins with a curse and ends with a blessing. Psalm 1 is essentially the psalm of Christ. Psalm 2 essentially is a psalm of the Antichrist. Psalm 1 is, shows us the meditation of the godly, and Psalm chapter 2 shows us the meditation of the ungodly. These two books lead us into the Hebrew hymnal, and they summarize the whole content of the book of Psalms. Let's look tonight first at the subject of the, God, the godly man's path. The godly man's path. What does the godly man look like? And when I say man, I'm using it generically, meaning woman as well. <clears throat> Notice what it says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You know what I find interesting here? God, in his infinite wisdom, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, is emphasizing the negative. Modern psychologists and psychiatry says that you need to always emphasize the positive. But God points out some things to us in the negative. God says the, happy, the happiness of a man is dependent upon those things that we do not do. The happiness of a man is dependent upon those places that we do not go. The happiness of a man depends upon those books that we do not read. Let me just share something with you about reading. <clears throat> I love to read. I had someone ask me this afternoon, do you still do much reading? I, I do a lot of reading. I enjoy reading. But there are certain things I will not read about. I limit my reading. My reading time is very valuable to me. <clears throat> I will not read books that are critical, blasphemous, judgmental upon the Word of God, the Son of God, the work of God, or the men and women of God. I don't read those kind of books. I only read books that I know will re—scriptural uh, uh, books now—that I know will only reinforce my biblical convictions and my biblical principles. They're the—I'm not interested in reading those for example, who would question the doctrine of eternal security. I won't waste my time on that. I know the truth. The matter is that when a man's saved, a woman's saved, they're saved for time and eternity, and thank God for that. But it took me two years to understand that concept by a godly pastor who took his time with a young boy that got saved in a Pentecostal church and was struggling because he'd heard week in and week out that you can lose your salvation, lose your salvation, lose your salvation. And I didn't know if I was saved or lost. I knew I'd ask Christ to come into my heart, but I didn't have the assurance of being saved or not. It took him two years to just patiently, kindly, lovingly, and graciously lead me through the scriptures, through the truth. 
that I'm saved. Thank God for time and eternity. <clears throat> he talks about the fact that happy is the man that doesn't see movies that we ought not to see. Don't set any wicked thing before my eyes. That'll help me stay happy, help me stay pure and clean. Happy is the man that does not keep company with the scornful. Happy is that man. God begins this book with the power of negative thinking, not the power of positive thinking. Notice what he says once again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Happy is the man that avoids those things that will destroy his happiness. What is that? Well, first of all, happy is the man that does not listen to the ungodly. He does not seek out the counsel of the ungodly. <clears throat> Hear me. For the Christian, it is absolute foolishness to seek out the counsel of those that do not know Christ. Now, all of us struggle from time to time. All of us do. I think of our young people, many of them here tonight, and I thank God for them. They're entering a time in life where there's going to be a lot of questions. Let me tell you who your counselors ought to be. Mom and dad, they'll be the best counselors you ever have this side of heaven. Number two, your preacher. Number three, your youth pastor. Maybe a deacon here in the church. But somebody that loves the Lord. Somebody that is going to look at you and say, this is what God's word says. I had a session with just a young man in the recent past, and I mean the last couple of weeks. And I talked to him, and I pointed out some Bible principles that he is missing in his life. <clears throat> and I want to state one of them. I looked at him and I said, son, I want to tell you something. I don't care how right you try to tell me you are with God. You cannot be right with God and out of fellowship with mom and dad. It's an impossibility. Why is that? Because God placed mom and dad over you. And you need to respect, to honor, and obey mother and dad. You cannot be right with God if you're at odds with mom and dad. Be careful. Don't seek the counsel of the ungodly. Seek out those that are going to tell you the truth based upon the word of God. You see, this book, young people, this book has the answer to every problem you and I face. Now, I've been preaching for well over 50 years, and I thank God for the privilege and the honor of being able to do that. <clears throat> but I want to tell you something right now. I've seen those that are walking in accordance with the word of God, and I've seen those Christians that do not walk in accordance with, the God, with God and his word. You don't question the word of God. You obey the word of God. You don't debate the word of God. You surrender to the word of God. You don't scoff at the word of God. You yield yourself to the word of God. Whatever God says on the subject is right. You might say, but, but nothing God is absolute, and his truth is absolute. Number two, not only does he not listen to the ungodly, but number, uh, number two, he does not linger with sinful man. Notice what he says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we may not have friends of the unsaved. Jesus was a friend of the sinner and the publican, if you will remember. But it does mean that the unsaved will not become an intimate of mine, will not become someone that I am constantly around. I want my friendships to be with people that will lift me up and encourage me in the things of God. I don't want my deep friendship and my committed friendship to be with those that would ridicule me. And let me stop here for just a minute. It's on an entirely different subject. But boy, at my age, when it hits you, it hits you and you better say it or you're not gonna get it out. <laughs> young ladies, you hear me and hear me well. And I talk to the young ladies about this and the principle is the same for young men. But young ladies, let me tell you something right now. If mom and dad aren't for that young man that comes courting, then you drop him like a hot potato. If you've got to plead with him to go to church with you, if you've got to beg him to go to church with you, if you've got to beg him to do right, drop him like a hot potato. He ain't worth it. And I use that word on purpose. You might have thought, man, he's supposed to be educated. Use the word ain't. I'd used it on purpose. He ain't worth it. Ain't. A-N-T. Ain't. Ah, <laughs> oh, my soul, my soul. It's been too long. You're all missing my humor. You're all missing my humor. All right. <clears throat> Blessed is the man. We are not to make deep friendships with the unsaved because we are not to participate in the things in which they participate. Notice what he says. Blessed. That word blessed means happy. Happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Abraham stood in the way of sinners. Went down to Egypt and lied about Sarah. And he lost his testimony. Lot stood in the way of sinners. Went to Sodom. Lived in Sodom. By the way, that was all a business decision on Lot's part. He could make more money over in Sodom than where he was. He moved there. He lost two of his daughters, at least two. We don't know how many, but he had at least two daughters that married Sodomites. And they got destroyed in the destruction of Sodom. He lost his wife because she just didn't believe the word of God. He defiled two of his daughters. And he lost his testimony. You see, when God warns us, let me say it to you this way. Let me say it to you a different way. And I've often told young people this. You can live any life you want to live. You might say, well, I'm a Christian. I've got uh, 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 my free will. You have a will. But it ought to be a will that's submitted to the Lord. But you do have a free will. And so, therefore, you can live any kind of life you want to live. Choose it. You want to run with a gambling crowd? Run with it. You want to run with a drinking crowd? Run with it. You want, to, you want to run with a smoking crowd? Run with it. You want to run with the immoral crowd? Run with it. You can choose any lifestyle you want. What you cannot choose, what you cannot choose are the consequences of that choice. You cannot choose the consequences of your choices. The consequences will come from God. Then notice what it says there. And he does not sit in the seat of the scornful. He does not laugh at those who would ridicule God. He does not sit in the seat of the scornful. 
He will, not, uh, he will not be a part of those that criticize the Lord. So the godly man, what's his path? The godly man's path is the separated from the world. He will not listen to the ungodly. He will not linger with the sinful. He will not laugh at the scornful man. But what's the godly man's pleasure? If that's his path, what's his pleasure? Look at verse number two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word of God has captured his affections. The godly man loves this book. The godly man will spend time in this book. <clears throat> I'm not trying to be unkind tonight. But if you do not spend time in this book, every day, every day, every day, spend time in the Word of God, then don't claim to be godly. Because you are not. Notice what it says there. But his delight, he delights in the law of God. The law of the Lord is identified there. You see, the godly man goes to a different counselor. He doesn't go to the ungodly. The godly man goes to a different counselor. That different counselor, the word of God. That different counselor are those who also love the word of God and love the Lord. He goes to a different counselor. He, he has different company. He has godly company, spiritual company, those that also love the Lord. His first love is the word of God. The word of God claims his full attention. He does not pour over books that would criticize the Bible. He does not pour over uh, reading things that would be harmful to his mind and to his heart. I, I bought a, uh, I won't tell you the name of the book because I ended up throwing it in the trash, but I bought it, it was after the election, and I bought it because I wanted to see what this person was saying. And about two or three chapters in, some words began to be used that I said, I'm not reading this garbage. The book cost me over 30 bucks. I'm not going to read this garbage. So I took it and I just threw it in the trash. I wasn't going to give it to anybody. If I can't read it, why would I give it to anybody else to read? I just threw it in the trash. I won't spend time reading that kind of garbage. But rather notice what he says. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Meditate day and night. Meditation. What does it mean to meditate? Well, let me put it to you this way. When we meditate the upon the word of God, we're trying to discern exactly what God is talking about. He doesn't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. The godly man does not get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, have to be, work, be to work at 6.30, brushes his teeth, shower and shaves, goes down for a quick breakfast, and spends five minutes in the Word of God. And then he takes five or ten minutes or so to drive to work. You can't meditate on the Word of God that way. Notice what it says there. The ungodly man are not so, but, or excuse me, and he shall be... Or, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And his law doth he meditate. When we meditate, we read the word of God methodically, with meaning, and with meditation in mind. What is meditation? Meditation is asking ourselves the following questions. As you read the word of God, and you ought to try this sometime. As you read whatever portion of the word of God you're reading, ask these questions. Is there any sin being mentioned here in this book, in this portion of Scripture, that I need to avoid? 
Is there any sin that I need to avoid? Number two. Is there any promise in this section of Scripture that I need to claim? Is there any promise that I need to claim? Is there any blessing in this portion of Scripture that I desire? Is there any blessing in this portion of Scripture that I desire? Is there any truth in this section of Scripture that I have not seen before? And then, as I read this scripture, I ask myself, what is the main thing that God is talking about here? What is he trying to teach me and to teach others? That's meditation. When I think about what it's saying, what it's instructing for me, what it's giving to me, the promises and the blessings that I can call for my own, the godly man, the godly man His affections are on the word of God. The godly man's prosperity. Look at verse number three with me. Notice the godly man's prosperity, if you would. Notice what it says there. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. First of all, the godly man's prosperity... He is situated by the waters. He is situated by the waters. Now, water in this context is alluding to the cleansing power of the word of God. For example, look at Psalm 119 with me, if you would. Turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. If there are things in my life that are displeasing to the Lord, if I've grieved the precious Holy Spirit in some way, what do I need to do? I need to flee to the word of God. God's word will show me where I'm wrong. God's word will lead me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Look at verse number 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I've often said this. This book, sin, will either keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. But one of the two is true. Sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed. That means in reading, ingesting, meditating, digesting the Word of God. You might say, but preacher, are you telling me that in every aspect of my life, I need to be directed by the Word of God? If that's your thought, you got the point. You got the point. I've had people over the years say to me something like this, Preacher, I don't know if this is right or wrong. And then they'll say something to me. What do you think? And I'll look at them and I'll say something like this. For you, it's wrong. 
Well, how can you say that, preacher? That's always an inevitable response. How can you say that? Because what they want me to say is, oh, it's okay to do it. And the reason why I say for you it's wrong, because there's a question in your heart or your mind. And I believe that question has been placed there by the Holy Spirit of God. And I know this, one thing I've tried to practice in my life, whenever I've felt that something might be questionable, I've tried to turn from it, employ the Joseph principle. The Joseph principle is run from it. Every time I've employed that principle in my life, I knew it was the right decision. If I ignored that principle, invariably, I regretted the decision. If there's a question, don't. Notice with me, if you would. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There are several principles here. Notice, first of all, with me, if you would, the prominence, the godly man's prominence. The Bible says he is like a tree. You can't miss a tree. Some of you are missing some trees now because of the month of March. You used to listen so attentively, <laughs> okay. Because of the month of March, all those snowstorms we had, those wet snowstorms. Some of you have had the attitude, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> what I'm saying is you can't miss a tree. You see a tree, his prominence. Notice his permanence. He's like a tree planted by the waters. His root system is deep. And the truth of the matter is his root system, root system is a hidden life. We don't see the roots. We don't see the tree getting the water and the nourishment and the nutrients out of the ground that it needs. Number three, his position. He is planted by the water. That way the droughts can't affect him. And there will be droughts. There are, always are droughts. But this tree, he has an unfailing source of life. I've talked to many Christians over the years, and sometimes Christians go through droughts where they'll say, and please don't, don't hit your husband if he's sitting next to him, okay? You say, sometimes you'll say, preacher, I don't feel like reading the Bible. Preacher, I don't feel like praying. Preacher, I don't feel like coming to church. You want to know something? Close the barn door, door, Annie. There have been times when I felt like that. But you're a preacher. There have been times when I felt like that. What do you do? I force myself to read the Word of God. I force myself to pray. I force myself to be in church. I force myself to witness or to pass out a track or whatever have you. We all go through a season of drought. But what do you do then? You do what's right to do. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said it this way. Though the stars fall from heaven, do right. There is no substitute for doing right. What the devil wants to do is to get you 
to do nothing in your Christian life. And by the way, have you ever found out something in your life that when you stop going to church, it's so easy to stop going to church? You ever notice that? That's why you don't stop going to church. You just keep on going. Just keep on doing what you know to do. And the Lord will bring you through it. And I can tell you something. The seasons are refreshing when he does. The word of God is so much clearer. Prayer is so much more enjoyable. And the fellowship of Christians is precious. His productivity, he brings forth his fruit. He is a blessing to all. Notice what it says. That bringeth forth his fruit in season. His propriety, his, se- his fruit is coming in season, not out, of a se- not out of season. His perpetuity, his leaf shall not wither. He's like an evergreen tree. His prosperity, and whatever he doeth shall prosper. That's the godly man. That's the promise that God has given to us. Everything that he doeth, his family, his business, his church life, his personal life, spiritual life, everything will prosper. When we do what the godly man does in verses 1 through 3, everything that we touch, everything that we're about will prosper. You might say, well, I, I, can, I know some Christians that haven't prospered. You're not God. Just because you don't see the prosperity doesn't mean it's not there. May I remind you that God works in the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. There's people in this church that are poor as a church mouse, but they love Jesus, love his word, and love life. And are thrilled with what he's doing. God said this to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate, there it is, therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Well, let's just take a minute further and look at the ungodly man. Look with me, if you would, verses 4 through 6. That's the godly man. That's where I want to be. I want to be found in verses 1 through 3. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. The ungodly man. The ungodly man is the man who leaves out God in all of his thinking and in all of his values. Actually, the term ungodly is the mildest term that we have in Scripture for the unsaved. You know, there's a tremendous contrast here in verses 1 through 3. You have the godly man. Then you have the ungodly man. You can't be both at the same time, for example. By definition, you're either married or you're unmarried. You can't be married and unmarried at the same time. You're either happy or you're unhappy. You can't be happy and unhappy at the same time. You're either either thankful or unthankful. You can't be thankful and unthankful at the same time. And neither can you be godly or ungodly at the same time. Everything that the godless man does is in contrast to the godly man. What do we see here? Let me quickly give you the outlook for the godless man. The godless man is driven. The godless man is doomed. The godless man is damned. He's driven. He's doomed. He's damned. Look at verse 4. 
The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. In contrast to the towering tree. In contrast to the root system that goes down and the nourishment comes up. In contrast to the godly man who is fed by the living water of God and by his living word. The godless man is not so. He's like the chaff driven by the wind. Have you ever seen people throwing the weed up in the air? I think it's called winnowing, if I'm not mistaken. And how the wind comes along and blows the chaff off. That's the godless man. The godless man has no more control of his life than whatever have you. He's driven. He's like the ship without a helm. He's like a ship without a rudder. If you're on a ship that can't be driven, you're at the mercy of the storm. And you're going to be tossed around on that ocean like a ping pong ball. And you will have no control of that ship. That's the same way with the ungodly man. My wife and I were discussing a young man that we know very well. This young man had great ability. He could have been anything he wanted to be. At a lunch the other day, we were discussing because our hearts are broken for him. Because the truth is, he's thrown his life away. This man could have been a preacher if he wanted to be a preacher. He could have been a doctor. He was that smart. He could have been a dentist. Could have been a lawyer. He could have been whatever he chose to be. But he made the wrong choice. And virtually, even as a young man, unless God performs a miracle in his life, he's virtually destroyed his life. The ungodly man is a man that is driven like the chaff. He has no control over it. The life of the godless man is described to us in Ephesians chapter 2. Look there with me if you would, and I'm going to hurry. The godless man is driven. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And you hath he quickened, Paul writes, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Now let me stop right there. The unsaved person only has one choice. They've got the, they will choose the path of sin. The saved person has the Holy Spirit of God. There's a war going on inside of you, and that is the spiritual warfare and the carnal warfare. We have the choice. We can make the choice, a righteous decision, a godly decision, or we can make a sinful decision. But once again, let me remind you, when we choose that sinful decision, we have no control over the consequences of that decision. The control of the consequences lie with God. The unsaved man doesn't believe in the power of Satan. He scoffs at that, and he would laugh at that. His education tells him, only, only understand, only agree with what you can understand yourself and test your senses to. The unsaved man is not the master of his soul, nor is he the master of his life. He is powerless. Number two. The ungodly man is not only driven, but he is doomed. Look at verse number 5 of Psalm 1. Therefore the ungodly man shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
the sinner has no standing in the day of judgment. When they stand before the great white throne judgment, God will tell them, depart from me, I never knew you. But we prophesied in thy name and we preached in thy name. Depart from me, I never knew you. All that a man has many times would he would give for just a few more moments of life. Queen Elizabeth of England, of Britain really I should say, as she was dying at 70 years of age, it's reported that she said, all of my possessions for just a moment of life. She died still clinging to her throne. The ungodly man is damned. Look at verse number six. He's driven, he's doomed, and he's damned. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let me put it to you this way. <clears throat> There's only two paths. That's it. There's only two paths. There's the way of the cross, which leads to heaven. There's the way of the curse, which leads to hell. You're either a godly man or woman, or you're an ungodly man or woman. You can't be both at the same time. Choose Christ. Live for him. Be submitted to him. Stay surrendered to him. I'm going to tell you something. And most of you know my testimony, so I'm not going to belabor that. I was saved at eight years of age. Eight years of age. During my teenage years, I drifted away from the Lord. I'm ashamed of that period of time, though I'll be honest with you. I never got involved in drugs, that sort of thing. I did get involved in smoking for a two-week period of time until my mother found out. And then I had one of those real mean mothers. You know, the kind that looked at me and held those cigarettes in her hand that she demanded I bring down from the bedroom that I had them in. And she said, son, I want to tell you something. You're going to stop smoking. Now, she smoked and so did. You're going to stop smoking now. Because if I ever hear, not that she had to have proof. My mother never had to have proof from a neighbor or anyone else. If they came and said thus and so, that was it. It was as if God had said it. If I ever hear of you smoking again, you see this pack of cigarettes? You're going to eat the cellophane around them. You're going to eat the cardboard. And you're going to eat every cigarette with all the filters on it. You're going to eat it all, and then you're going to throw your guts up. And that was her words, not mine. <clears throat> so quickly, before my 15-year-old eyes, my whole life was flashing before me. And I thought, this woman's going to kill me. <laughs> so in essence, my interpretation of what she was saying is, you have the choice. You can live till you're 80 or 85 or 90 years of age, or you can die now. One or the other. See, back in those days, kids, we didn't have DIFUS and government things to go to or anything like that. Mom and dad's word was law. I mean, if you didn't like home, you couldn't run away because nobody would take you in. When I was 18 years of age, I rededicated my life to Christ. I've tried to live for him. I wish I could tell you I've lived for him faithfully all of these years since then. I failed him. 
He has never failed me. But I can tell you this much right now. I don't have one moment, not one moment of regret in giving my life over to the Lord Jesus. I couldn't think of anything better to do with my life in the last 57 years than to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given me a wonderful wife, wonderful family, tremendous grandkids, and three and a half great-grandkids. There's one coming. What I'm saying to you is this. If you'll surrender your life to the Lord and live for him to the very best of your ability, at 75 years of age, you'll be able to look at your family and say, no regrets in living for Christ. None.